Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update here on a Friday morning. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Oh, good morning to you. You know, our friends from Nachal Haredi were just here. I don't know if you were tuned in or not. Rabbi Tzvi Klibbenau and Sergeant Natanel Silverman are in the area. They're going to be spending Shabbos in the five towns. And um, <laughs> my takeaway from the conversation, in addition to many other things, is uh, how everybody does not implement a tefillah for the soldiers of Israel on a regular basis, whether it's every week or whatever the case may be, I, I don't know. It is uh, he described Sergeant Silverman, you know, who seems to be just a, just another wonderful soldier in the Israeli army. How on a daily basis he shot out Molotov cocktails coming his direction. He's trying to secure the area of Janine. You've described for us how difficult a task that is, and this happens now on a regular basis, not just when there are major raids and terror threats. Uh, it's just incredible, and uh, I'm sure you agree, but I just wanted to toss that out there to start things off this week. Well, first of all, I think it's still appropriate this week when you saw Yom Zikaron and uh, Yom Atzimut, and people tend to take for granted, and I have to compliment the people who in Flatbush organized the first time a uh, an event in Shtibel, which was filled to overflowing. People were turned away. Hundreds were there? Hundreds. Four, five, at least 400, I heard wow. many more, but I think the room holds about 400 altogether. It was packed through the door, out the door, on the street, and many people just turned and left because they couldn't get in. And it shows that there's much more Hakar Satov recognition. You know, people think this is a quiet period, but 57 soldiers and security officers were killed in the last year, since last year, Matzmot, wow. Israel Independence Day. Fifty-seven families deprived of sons, fathers, brothers, cousins. We don't even think about the ramifications of all the families who are affected forever by the loss. And they're there to protect the Jewish people and the Jewish state. And I mean all the Jewish people. When Nacha Haredi, you know, is, is under pressure and you hear critics of coming from some extreme elements about it, they are on the front line. I just saw that they have been assigned to key posts in the Golan that they do intelligence work, that they they go out on some very serious missions, and there's the officers rave about them. And the you know the fact is that we take it for granted. We don't you know really appreciate the sacrifices that are being made, the, the time that's being invested, the dangers that they encounter, and. At least one day a year we should, but we should remember it every day. And you just mentioned to me off the air, which is rare, we usually don't discuss topics off the air, but you just mentioned to me what you were involved with this week in terms of the um, uh, meeting on uh, uh, anti-Semitism in France. And sometimes, and I tried to make this point at the end of my conversation with them this morning, sometimes we forget that when we are able to live in freedom and in relative comfort, and again, you could describe France to us, and whether it's close to that or not in a minute, but when we are in a place like this, like here, uh, a lot of that is because of the strength of the Israeli army and the power of the state of Israel. We have to keep that in mind as well. Absolutely, and think what we would be without it. And you know, some say, well, the problems come because of Israel. No, the problems are because they hate Jews. They use Israel as an excuse. And in, and the situation in France, when we had the leaders of the CREEP, which is the central body of the French-Jewish community, are here this week, and we did a, a session last night at the French Embassy, uh, mission to the UN, uh, with the head of the CREEP and myself. Uh, and, and as I looked more and more into the details about the current situation, and 
acknowledged fully today by France's leader, Jewish leaders, which was not always the case, that seventy-one uh, percent say they experience anti-Semitism in the media. Sixty-four uh, percent say they encountered it in the streets. Seventy-nine percent see graffiti and other, you know, vandalism that is anti-Semitic. And seventy percent are fear of physical violence. This is not. Uh, in a normal situation, it's not something to be dismissed. It's pervasive. And as I've discussed on the air many times, we talked about the hundreds of young Frenchmen who went there as Mohammed Mara fighters, the guy who killed the young Jewish children in the school in Toulouse, and father and, and soldiers later, the, the, that they're, they're fighting in Syria, and they're going to come back because they have French passports. They can get back into France, to the United States. Italy, to England, to Ireland, to all of your countries of Europe, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, who are going to, who are trained killers and are, are going to come back. And this, of course, uh, worries them. The demographic imbalance, the, the extremism emanating from parts of the Muslim population, from the extreme right, and we, the European Parliament is going to have an election the coming weekend. There's a great fear that between the Jobbik party in Hungary and Golden Dawn in Greece and in, in uh, France and other parties in Holland and Belgium, that they could get 20-25% of the vote in the, in the European Parliament. Wow. And, and he said that they could even be the number one party, and although they, they're careful, Le Pen's daughter, Marie, is, is uh, careful not to engage in anti-Semitism. But you, you know about the Quenelle, this reverse swastika, right. which was started yeah, by described. this... The, the comedian, the right. old comedian, who, who's now become a national figure, who has spread this into every realm. You see it at sports events. You see it at other uh, major public gatherings. Uh, they, are, they are now being more careful because they're subject to legal action. In, in Europe, you have libel and other laws that we don't have here. But the, the pervasiveness of, of this in the media and elsewhere, and they do tie it, of course, to events in the Middle East, but it's, it stands on its own as as uh, reflective of events of the past, uh, where France became subject under the Vichy regime to, and, and deported Jews and killed uh, many of them, uh, killed as a result in, in concentration camps and elsewhere in France and, else, and outside. Um, we have to take these things seriously. And by the way, um, uh, you just... It, in what you said about France, you spoke about how people, residents, Jewish residents, speak of vandalism and what they see, swastikas, I would assume, and things like that. Uh, and look how it was dealt with in our area. Um, just a few days ago, we had an incident in Brooklyn, New York, where, where somebody was uh, arrested for uh, um, drawing swastikas on a, I think it was either a shul or school building. On several places, cars and schools. And you see how that's dealt with here. I don't know. I, this is not a knock on the French authorities. I don't know how it's dealt with there, but it does sound, based on the statistics you just cited, that it's much more commonplace there. It's more pervasive. The the national leadership, Hollande, the president, and Valls, the new prime minister, uh, whose wife has Jewish uh, relatives, um, have been very strong on this issue. But a, a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, 17,000 people marched against the government, and all of a sudden hundreds of them, Turned the chant to France does not belong to Jews. Jews right. do not belong in France. And that the the, the um, and while it wasn't all seventeen thousand, nobody shut them up. They were able to go and march in the streets of Paris, yelling this. Uh, so the Ministry of the of the Interior, Bowles was, and now he's the Prime Minister, 
uh, have been very outspoken and active on it. It's, it's not a knock at the government uh, uh, of France, uh, but local officials, others. It also, the events that you mentioned, remind us the importance of the cameras that are put up. And security cameras should be everywhere, at least so that people who want to carry out such acts of violence, I'm not talking about those who want to kill will do it in any event, but those who, who engage in the kind of graffiti and other acts of uh, uh, vandalism, will be deterred. And by the way, and I know that uh, we don't always talk about local stuff, but uh, this is even bigger, and you, of course, with your association with the uh, security apparatus for our community would know something about it. Has the NY- If I understand this correctly, the NYPD is now giving up on a certain unit that used to either follow or pay careful attention uh, to, uh, to different uh, Muslim organizations in the city, you know, fearing that there might be terror attacks is that is that now being relaxed they're not going to pay as much attention to them well we don't know uh they there was a unit that came under a lot of criticism and uh, they uh, said that they were not going to be monitoring uh, muslim institutions although such actions have often encountered and uh, uncovered right and enabled them to address issues it's not just local but that doesn't mean that the uh, surveillance or the, that the um Security operations don't continue. I know that Commissioner Bratton is certainly somebody very sensitive to these issues. So, I mean, did the did Jewish leadership respond to this, or they didn't need to respond to it, or it's not nearly as big a deal as some of the uh, media sources are painting it? Like, what what should be the reaction we'll out there? We'll have to see how it how it's carried out. But I, I don't. First of all, I don't think it's it's specifically a Jewish concern. This is a concern of security. It's like these good point fighters in uh, in Syria. Right. Good point. Although we make the point, it's not our point. Right. Understood. Right. Sometimes sometimes it's only people from our community who are out there saying anything. Though. Right. And 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 before we move on, I, I do want to get to some uh, other uh, things. But just you mentioned, of course, this incredible week. And it's such a spirited week between uh, Yom Hazikaron, Israel Memorial Day, and Yom Atzmut, Israel's 66th uh, birthday. Uh, did you get a chance, and I really don't know the answer to this, I'm not putting you on the spot, did you get a chance to see the torch ceremony and people like Ula Cohen and Miriam Peretz uh, as they were uh, as they were participating in the ceremony in Har Herzl this week? Yes, I saw some of them. Pretty amazing, no? It was remarkable, and the focus was on women this year. Right. This year, and yet woman and others who were there being honored for their contributions. And we should just point out that, as, as we said during our Yomats Mode program this week, Miriam Peretz lost two sons and has become very high profile in Israel for just the incredible spirit that she continues with despite these these unbelievable losses. It's, it's remarkable. You, you don't know how it's a superhuman feat. Just incredible, Malcolm. Could you? I mean, this has been such. A, this has become such a uh, a story now, uh, rightfully so. The the terror group that's responsible for the kidnapping of these hundreds of girls in Nigeria. Could you just? And, and I, I assume it's an anti-Christian uh, a terror attack, essentially, which I would love for you to expound on because sometimes we forget um, uh, what the Christian community uh, could be subject to in terms of terror out there. Uh, from Islamic rogue groups. Uh, could you explain who this terror group is and what their goals are? The goals are to take over Nigeria. It's a very powerful country, an important country, that, uh, uh, with uh, energy and other wealth. That This has been an ongoing battle, very long, has taken thousands and thousands of lives. 
and uh, with very little attention and the great frustration on the part of the people because they've appealed for for support from from the outside world and nothing comes. It's not the only such group, but it is uh, um, one of the, the most powerful and active groups is supported by Iran, we believe, and uh, get, still get weapons that uh, were flowing out of, uh, out of Libya. And the, the most high-profile thing they did, which is what has finally evoked a reaction, although they've done terrible things where they go into villages and massacre them. Literally mass murder. The whole, the whole community. And then, they, and then you have Christians who then go and respond. This is a Christian-Muslim uh, battle to a large degree. But the, they will wipe out, wipe out a village. This time they went and they kidnapped several hundred young girls from school on the way to school. And now, by the way, have, have kidnapped even more. And they've divided up, so it's very hard for them to, to follow them to, to, to determine where these girls are. And the United States today sent some uh, experts there to try and help, and, and so did some other uh, countries uh, send uh, uh, troops, but minor numbers, not to, to actually carry out a, a uh, serious operation, but to, to try and be supportive of the efforts that are that are there. And the um, so, but this is part of the radicalization of of in Africa, which gets so little attention. People don't you know monitor this or don't don't take it for granted. But this or take it. The situation there is just this, the, what is and what should be there. So if 50% of the population of Nigeria is Christian, they, they're acting more in the areas that are majority Muslim against uh, the Christians? No, they're acting in the areas that are majority Christian, and but do they, they cross over and they have attacked... Um, uh, they have attacked Muslim uh, communities as well. Now, you uh, so often, especially vis-a-vis Israel, because we know there's a Christian community in Israel, you've asked for the Christian community worldwide to react to terror attacks. Um, it, 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 it took more, it, it was more of a, I don't know what we would call it, a secular effort? <laughs> People like the uh, First Lady of the United States and others to bring this to the attention of everybody? Wouldn't you have expect more of an outrage from the Christian world on this? Or are you somebody who's in a leadership position hearing from them, yet the media is not picking up what they're saying? Well, the media has, has reported on some of these things because they are so blatant and, uh, such horrific, uh, of such horrific scope. Right, but only recently. But, Yes, but only recently, and and the international leadership, the United Nations Human Rights Council, is too busy condemning Israel to look at the real problems, and, and that is not meant as a joke. It's very serious. Right, of course. All the resolutions deal deal with Israel and and over any perceived uh, action, and here you have this ongoing effort, and so finally of late, you, you have some attention paid to it. But in many places in Africa, when you go there, meet with leadership, they tell us that. Uh, uh, that their big fear is Iranian influence, is the growth of the Muslim populations, is the convert, forced conversion uh, of Muslims, uh, of uh, people to Islam. Uh, and the, the uh, general attention span of the world is so short. Right. Here, this captured it because there are hundreds of girls, and then they took hundreds more. And right, the nature. Will, and, they, and they threatened to sell them into slavery. Right, the nature of the episode just finally got everybody's attention. But, but you've told us in the past that 
that very often you hear from Christian leaders around the world who are frustrated that their that their uh, uh, their pleas go, you know, and, and fall on deaf ears. Is that happening here as well? Are are they active yet? The people are simply not picking up their message. Well, they don't have such strong advocacy groups here uh, fighting for them, but but we have spoken out. Many groups have spoken about the horrific. Uh, developments there. I mean, you can't be indifferent to the idea that these hundreds of little girls are being taken right. and being sold to slavery, being sold to, to horrific, uh, potentially horrific uh, situations. But the but it is not the isolated place in Africa. And and look, we see other developments. How about in South America? How, who pays attention? Right. What uh, what is going on in Venezuela? What goes on in other countries where they are imposing more and more restrictive things? Where Iran plays a bigger role? Hezbollah's presence. More and more in evidence. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm programmed to think, as I'm watching these stories from Nigeria, I'm programmed to think that somehow the IDF is going to go in and solve everything. <laughs> not, <laughs> not to make light of it, but I don't know. That's <laughs> why what France did in, in, in Mali was so important, why it received so much uh, reaction uh, from, uh, from the people there. I mean, you know, 300 people get killed in the latest attack in Nigeria, and, and the world is. is uh, is silent. The, the State Department for a long time refused to to identify Boko Haram, which is that group, as, right. a, as a terrorist group, and uh, and people think that they're just wild. They uh, people they had a, a um, they have a clear plan. They're linked to Al Qaeda. They they were not put on the list of uh, of foreign uh, terrorist organizations for a long time, and. Uh, that may have limited the ability of America to to respond, and that you know, that took place a few years ago. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, <coughs> Rockland County at ninety one point nine on the FM dial, and around the world in the web jmnam dot org. Um, the um, Ehud Barak has uh, indicated, and it's been a while since we've spoken about the military potential against Iran, but let's get back into it. Ehud Barak has indicated that Israel could take out the Iranian nuclear threat in the fraction of one night. So number one, Mr. Honeline, is he accurate? And number two, as I've asked you a million times before, if it is accurate, why on earth would somebody say it publicly? Uh, it's a long night that he's talking about. But, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> Maybe he meant the fortnight. <laughs> but I, I think he's not wrong. I think really, I do think that Iran's ability, that, that Iran's uh, system is is not that big. We we we, it is serious. It's spread out. It's not like OC rock. It's not one wave. But you have to remember the power of the United States. What what facilities are available, and hopefully they will pull back the other aircraft carriers. That advocated for a long time, but the you know their ability to in the United States' capacity to act in this thing with tomahawk missiles raining down on it, and and it doesn't mean because you're not looking to take over the country, you're not trying to beat the army, you're trying to destroy the infrastructure of uh, of the key, key facilities. Now, a there are facilities we don't know. B there are, are at least some of these are underground and well protected, sealed off. So that it's not going to be so easy, but the United States has super bunker buster bombs, and we have a lot of capacity. So only only can be done with American cooperation. I know that that's been somewhat obvious for for a long time. 
But but I've never heard you this, I don't know, I, I've never heard such promise in your voice about the potential of the military, whether with American cooperation or not, of Israel taking out Iran's nuclear capacity. And 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 might we ask then that if it was if it was able to be done unilaterally, Israel would have done it already. And now we have the greatest proof that they need American ingenuity and equipment in order to carry it out. No, I, uh, I think Israel could carry it out. Israel has to make the decision when to carry it out. You've never spoken like this before, I don't think. But, no, I've always said that Israel has that Israel has the capacity to carry it out and as quickly as Barack is described. I, I didn't say that they could take it out in the fraction of a night. Right. He said the United States could. Right. Uh, and I think his message, uh, again, who knows what why he wanted to say it? Maybe he has, you know he has uh, access to information we don't. But I think he his message was don't overcomplicate this thing. Don't think that we're facing such a strong opposition. Uh, the, uh, uh, could there be dangers? Could there be loss of life? Absolutely. They have anti-aircraft. They have. It, it is a big power. I think a fraction of the night, as I said, may be an exaggeration. Right. And for Israel, it would be even more difficult. And the question is, how much do you take out? What is his definition of taking out? Does it mean we remove Fordo? Does it mean we remove the light reactor before it goes hot? Because once these facilities are hot, meaning producing, and you, you run the risk of massive leaks of radiation. Uh, so... You know, it, 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 you, and, and they have, of course, the ability to retaliate against the different sources, Israel, or uh, more likely, I think, Saudi Arabia and other places. See, months ago, you ha- you you would have described how it's in too many in too many or multiple facilities. I, that's what I said. So the question is, what he defines as taking right. out? Do you get every facility? So he might be referring to. He might be referring to the the main one or the one that controls the rest or the no, or setting them back six months right. or a year or two years. Uh, that has been a debate that's been ongoing. I mean, what is how do you define what a successful attack would? would so that's the difference. In Iraq, you were able to eliminate the entire thing or at least its potential. The one facility, but it was one facility. Right here, you and might that's why be. when people say so, why don't they just go and bomb? Because it is complicated right. and it would take a lot of resources. But the fact is, the United States has a lot of resources. It is not going to happen, I don't believe. I don't think the military option is one that they're planning for. I do think that they have to be much more uh, specific in, in, in building the capacity if they want Iran to take it seriously so they don't have to use it. But if the Iranians don't believe that the all options, meaning the military option, is on the table, if they don't see the possibility that uh, we could act, and, and you know, for the same thing is true with Putin, who's going now to the Crimea today and going to have a victory parade, uh, you know, it's not a, a superpower in the same sense as it once was. And it's not that the West couldn't stand up to them and, and uh, put an end to, to, these, uh, to the threats and to the constant violence that's going on uh, without getting into determining who the government That should be up to the people, but giving them a free chance to, to vote. So, you know, the, the, the warning is important to wake people up, to put things back into perspective, about how serious what we face is and how collective action, and you would have collective action involving the Gulf countries, you would have others who would want to join in, like the countries in Central Asia, because they feel threatened by Iran. Right. By the way, you mentioned Putin. Isn't it becoming more and more obvious that one of the problems is that the Ukrainians themselves don't know what they want in terms in terms of... Uh, you know, be, being part of uh, you know Russian expansionism or not, and once they decide, then it might be easier to figure out you know what direction they should go in. 
Well, there is a big cultural divide, and it is, uh, uh, you know, you have a large population that identifies linguistically, culturally, otherwise with, uh, with the Russians. And, uh, again, it's not, these are not simple situations. Uh, otherwise, it would, probably wouldn't arouse, uh, arise, arouse the violence and the reaction that it does. But, uh, on the other hand, then there are situations that, that should have been and could have been uh, dealt with. Many people, including the French yesterday, said that they, they believe the failure of the United States to act in Syria gave the license to, to Putin to go and act in the Ukraine. And the argument which we make in the show so often to remind people that everything is interrelated. This is right. globalization that you can't separate. And once you open the floodgates in one place, it's going to open it elsewhere. But did Putin know that, he had this, that he'd have this much support within the Ukraine? It's a big advantage that he has in that well, situation. Yes, because they know the number of, uh, of Russian-speaking people and uh, how much of that support is really his people coming in. I mean, it's, it's the, the people who are carrying out these acts aren't necessarily Ukrainians. They could be Russians because none of the, none of them are wearing the badges, and he has a lot. I of know, but when you see them. the rallies on the street, and well, that's something else. Of course, he knew that there's. This yeah, it's, it seems culture. like they're residents. Yes, <laughs> you know. Um, why is the Prime Minister Netanyahu going to Japan? Why not? Sushi. Japan and the United States and Israel have been expanding their relationship. Asia overall has become a major trading partner now, rivaling the United States. We've discussed how China wants to uh, invest in many Israeli companies, That's right? That's right, and so does Japan. And, oh, also? And are, are they bringing a lot of cash to the table? There, are, there is a lot of cash in Japan still. Interesting. And uh, they, they are very interested in Israel's high technology, and Japanese delegations come, uh, not as many as, as the Chinese, but serious. And the um, and this is not new. You know, the, the uh, two prime ministers ago came also to Israel after I had a meeting with him, and we had very serious exchanges about it, and and they looked to Israel. There is a strange relationship because even a place like Japan, you know, anti-Semitic books sell six, seven hundred thousand copies, but it doesn't mean anything. They tell me because everybody thinks sells six, seven hundred thousand copies. People wow. read them in the streets, and it's not uh, a necessary reflective uh, of uh, you know some anti-Semitic explosion. And in countries like China and, and Japan, that didn't really have histories of it. Of, of anti-Semitism. Right. When you write your book, translate it into Chinese, you have the potential for uh, a bestseller. Bestseller right away. A hundred percent. It's unbelievable. Um, should should Susan Rice be meeting with the PA? My question, the bigger question, really is, you know, at this point, uh, especially with uh, the Secretary of State, you know, calming things down in terms of his uh, constant travel to Israel and trying to court the PA. Should any American officials now be in any type of serious peace negotiations? Well, she's not negotiating. She went there to show the flag to discuss two issues. I think one is the peace process, one is Iran. Uh, she went there to incur to to encourage the Israelis that the United States was really committed to preventing Iran from getting a nuclear weapon, but it is clear that they also did not agree that the difference is that the, their definition of a good deal is not what the Israelis' definition. The Israelis say you, no enrichment capacity. They're right. saying, well... Uh, enrichment capacity and a breakout of at least a year, meaning the time from which they make a decision to build a bomb to the time that they can build it. If you remember recently, Secretary Kerry said six to 12 months. The Israelis reacted very strongly. She said, well, at least a year. It has to be more than a year. That's not the, the answer. The answer is shouldn't have the capacity because once you have it, they can cheat, they can do it, they can move it up. 
uh, and Israel's position all along is that they can't, they shouldn't have the capacity, like Canada, Mexico, others who, who enrich outside, and they have many offers uh, for it. And if, if for, from the United States' own perspective, if you see how the um, head of the Iranian Navy said this week, we can take out an aircraft carrier that's in the Gulf in a minute. Mm-hmm. We can, we're, our goal is to wipe out the U.S. naval uh, resources. That the, they challenge the United States all the time and um, uh, talk about our aircraft carriers as being such easy targets. And there's, and there's never a response to it. There's not a response uh, to, to that or to Class C or to so many other things. And in Vienna next week, they're going to meet again, the P5 plus one with the Iranians. They're facing a uh, July deadline, which I think is artificial. And the, the, uh, and, and the more rushed it is, the worse the deal will be, because you won't have time to hammer out a lot of the details unless they just make a framework agreement. Uh, she reiterated the determination of the administration to prevent Iran from acquiring it. Uh, I, and she also, of course, spoke about the, the negotiations with Netanyahu, with the others, uh, with Lieberman, and in, uh, in Ramallah. By the way, I'm getting sick and tired, whether it's Martin Indyk or anybody else, of uh, hearing how Israel is responsible for the breakdown of the Israeli PA talks. Well, this is uh, this interview was deeply disturbing. The one that gave Barnea, which was an unnamed source, but everybody in Washington, and I think if you read it, it becomes clear there are very few people could be, and that it's been identified as being Indic, who is a special envoy. They say now he's going to resign. We'll find out. He gave a speech last night in which he, he reiterated uh, some of these things. Um, it, it is very disturbing because you, you see these leaks and then they they walk them back but the damage is done once you put this out there this becomes the basis then for the bds advocates the boycott divestment sanctions the anti-israel delegitimizers in especially in europe but even here that they say look here you see who's responsible for the breakdown of talks that a couple hundred units are going to be built in Gilo. that's really the issue or or that abbas has no intention of, of making a deal, and it becomes more and more clear. Hamas says they're not going to ever accept the quartet things. We don't believe there should be a Jewish state. The TV continues to broadcast, kill all the Jews things on children's programs. The, they continue to apply to international conventions, and the former head of the International Criminal Court, Ocampo, warned them yesterday to remember that if they start going into war crimes, that it can be brought against them, against the Hamas and against others all the rockets that were shot for uh, all the things. And now the analysis that you see is that they're saying you can't force the parties faster than, than uh, what they're ready for or what they're ready to commit to. And I think that Abbas, at 79, looking to the end of this term, is not going to negotiate a deal. If you remember, Arafat walked away from a final deal, too, without right. answering it. When he visited Washington, the president laid out a plan to him, and they never got back to the president on it. <laughs> By the way, our friends at Norpac say that Iron Dome had a big victory in Congress this week. Iron Dome and uh, had a victory, and the support is continuing. And it's, uh, but the administration did put in for a significant amount of money. They always go in with a lower number than Congress raises it, and uh, the administration approves it. Interesting how it works. And and, and finally. Um, I was reading about the proposed bill for life sentences in Israel for those responsible for terror. When, when, when a terrorist is responsible for the murder of somebody in Israel, it generally is a life sentence, correct? I mean, is that, is that usually the... Uh, the no, s- not in every case is it a life sentence. 
There certainly hasn't been, as you see, the people who, who were released. Right. Well, that's you know, I, I always looked at no, that but as many a... of them. Many of them had multiple sentences. Some have uh, many for, for killing get light sentences. Yes. But if you, you look at the, um, uh, some of them have multiple life sentences right. for for the crimes they uh, they committed. But Israel, you know, doesn't execute them. Right. That we see. And and we have. Uh, by the way, you saw the commitment this week by the Egyptian president to keeping the peace process. And Amri Musa, who is never a great friend, talked about Hamas needing to recognize Israel. So what do you and think of that? Pardon me? What do you think of that? I, I, I was taken aback by that, very honestly. I know him in a long time. <laughs> I was really taken aback. But it, it's because he flows, follows the flow of what the uh, government and the, the, the direction that this Egyptian government of the generals is taking, and it tells you how that influences uh, what happens, and it's not just true in Egypt. And now Egypt is talking about uh, a pipeline from Egypt to Israel, but not to bring gas to Israel, but to take gas from Israel to their LNG facility in uh, Damietta. So it's it's a really interesting development in that the... the um, uh, that again, because it's a good news, it gets very little attention. I mean, we shouldn't expect any symbolic gestures at this point, right? There's not, we're not going to see Egypt and Israel getting together in the near future, right? Well, they are cooperating, and there's a lot of military cooperation, but nothing Sinai, publicly, and, right? And uh, the fact that Al Sisi said publicly, the guy who's going to be the president, that uh, he is going to maintain the peace agreement and right. that he's going to eliminate the Muslim Brotherhood. As a, certainly as a political factor in, in Egypt. I mean, I think those are all positive signs, but more importantly is what they're doing on the ground, which is to actually act against uh, against the terrorists and closing down the tunnels. And that's part of the reason why Hamas fled to the uh, welcoming arms of Mr. Abbas uh, is because of the pressures that they're feeling from it. Right. But, but if you see how the international community, look, we now find out that um, the chlorine gas is again being used by Syria or continuing to be used. Israelis say that there were 30 times they used it since last August, and that uh, you have somewhat close to 10% of the chemical weapons remain behind the enemy lines that they claim they can't get to. Um, And the international community sees that they know that the chlorine gas is being used, and because you know, you can tell there are ways to, you have uh, reports of it, and yet the international community doesn't act and he thinks he can get away with it he took over homes now which is a major development um, they trapped a number of uh, of uh, the rebels but the rebels themselves gave it up most of them left and uh, and this is a very significant victory for him uh, for the Abbas forces certainly psychological but also in terms of uh, the territorial the geopolitical position he's in Malcolm is uh, one of the guest speakers Monday, uh, Sunday morning rather at the breakfast we spoke of yesterday uh, for the security of Harazay Tim. That's at the home of Rabbi Leaf, 10 o'clock on uh, Sunday morning. I believe that's for men only, and uh, we wish you luck with that this weekend, Mr. Honlock. Thank you very much. It's very important and that men and women support the effort to, to uh, uh, pacify they think that we end the violence. A lot of progress has been made. A lot more progress has to be made. This is the biggest national Jewish cemetery going back thousands of years where hundreds of thousands of people are buried, and the fact that they didn't have access to it for all these years, it's the de facto division of Jerusalem. If we, if we lose the access to, to our bayit, again, uh, the police and the prime minister's office and others have done 
uh, a lot to, to, to increase it, but we have to do more. We want to build a visitor center. We want to increase tourism there. That's the way you make sure that it stays. 100%. Uh, Malcolm, have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Friday, it's the weekly update here at JM in the A.